0: Here we are again.
1: Here we are. Hello.
0: Awkwardly looking at each other while the other talks. (laughs) You notice that too.
1: Exactly. (laughs) Where do I look (laughs) when you're talking?
0: (laughs) What should I do? (laughs) Oh, that was so fun, everybody. That was so fun and historic. Thank you. And thank you for being here. Oh, you can start. Should I start? I'll
1: start. (laughs) When we were filming that video. Uh, the videographer, made this offhanded kind of passing comment. He said, yeah, when I think about church, you know, I think it's the people, and this is just a building. And for some reason, when he said just a building, it stood out to me. It's, you know, this idea that the church is the people, and the people can gather anywhere, And the place where they gather is kind of irrelevant. And I knew what he meant. I'm sure I have said (laughs) those same words myself. And I agree that God cannot be contained. God is not contained in a cathedral or in a building. We all know that. And yet something about the sort of indifference that we often carry towards place in our modern Christian worldview, it's become like a nagging question that I can't shake. Does a place like this even really matter if God is everywhere anyway? And today is the 100-year celebration of this place. And so in preparation for today, I have been reading a very interesting book called A Christian Theology of Place. And in that book, they talk about the importance of place in our lives and the failure of what they call the urban promise. And here we are. We're a church in an urban context. We're in the heart of urban Denver, and according to this book, the urban promise says this, that human persons can lead detached, unrooted lives of endless choice and no commitment, and that promise is a promise that, I mean, I think in part I've bought into more so at different times in my life. It's a promise that's been glamorized to say, go wherever you want to go, you know. do whatever you want to do, be whoever you want to be. This, you know, it's kind of this freedom and this self-actualization. It's the, the urban promise. But the author of the book contends that this urban promise has failed us because he says this, there are no meanings Apart from roots, there is a human hunger for a sense of place that the urban promise cannot meet. I think sometimes we just forget how much the place we are in shapes us and we shape the place. I mean, I don't know about you, but I've kind of been taught to like downplay the importance of place. I've been told, like, spread your wings and fly. Who cares where you live? Whether it's Denver, Beijing, Paris, the world is yours. Globalization, progress, they've brought us so many wonderful things. But in doing so, I wonder if they've also kind of trained us to devalue place. But the ancient people, they saw the value of place. They valued places and would make pilgrimage to sacred places. I mean, in the opening pages of the Bible, we see the Garden of Eden is a place. It's not just a backdrop to the story, it's central to the story. The entire Hebrew scriptures of the Old Testament is about a place, a particular place promised land. Jesus himself even said, I go to prepare a place for you. Even at the end of the Bible in the book of Revelation, we see a place that's described as the new Jerusalem, the new heavens and the new earth. Now, Walter Brueggemann says that part of why we have lost our value on place is because we have become so obsessed with two other things, time and space. Now hang with me for a moment, I think this will be worth it. (laughs) I often use space and place like interchangeably. What's the difference? When I say space or place, it's kind of the same thing. When you think of space though, it's expansive. When we think of space, we think of outer space. We're always looking for more space in our lives. And what we mean when we want more space is we, we mean those untethered places where we feel free to do whatever we want, and that is good. It's good to have. But he says that there is a difference between space, which is expansive, and place, which is particular, particular like this sanctuary where we gather now. Both are good, but he says place actually shapes us even more than space and time. And that our obsession with more space and with our time has kind of dislodged our value on place This is how he articulates the difference between space and place. He says, space means an area of freedom without coercion or accountability, free of pressures and void of authority. Space may be imagined as a weekend, a holiday, a vacation, and is characterized by a kind of neutrality or emptiness waiting to be filled by our choosing, such a concern appeals to a desire to get out from under meaningless routine and subjection. But place is a very different matter. Place is space, which has historical meanings, where some things have happened, which are now remembered, and which provide continuity and identity across generations. Place is space in which important words have been spoken, which have established identity, defined vocation, and envisioned destiny. Place is space in which vows have been exchanged, promises have been made, and demands have been issued. Place is indeed a protest against the unpromising pursuit of space. It's a declaration that our humanness cannot be found in escape, detachment, absence of commitment, and undefined freedom. When I first read those words out loud to Tim, they made me weep. Imagine if each Sunday, when you woke up, you thought of your drive to this place like a sort of pilgrimage A pilgrimage to a sacred space and place in this city. A ritual, a habit, a practice of making pilgrimage to the same sacred place over and over and over. You know, in time, this place will shape you. And in time, you will shape this place. Now, i got to say a quick word about online worship, because here's the thing. Some of you cannot physically come to this place every week for a variety of reasons. Maybe some joined us online today. The last thing I want is for anyone to feel pressure around their church attendance. (laughs) No, thank you. You can have place here, whether you come every Sunday, once a month, or Christmas and Easter. This is more about what I want for you than what I want from you. I think having a sense of place is something we all need. Having a church that you can call home, it's important. And there will be seasons where you're more involved or you're less involved for a variety of reasons. But I hope for you to have a sacred place in your life to call home. I was thinking about this. My my spiritual director uh, one time said to me, Susie, can you think of a place, a physical place, where you feel the love of God, where you've heard from God, where you've felt embraced by the everlasting arms of God? Can you think of a physical place? And I said, yes. And then she said, here's what I want you to do. Spiritual directors can be so weird like this. I want you to take a picture of that physical place and put it in a frame. And I want you to put it on your bedside stand. And I want you to make a second one and put it in a frame and stick it on your desk at work. And so I did. And this sits on my bedside stand. Another one just like it sits on my desk. This is kind of how I see online worship. Like, I I can't be in this place all the time but the photo or the online presence it, it can be, it can serve as like a reminder to me oh he, yeah that's my place that's my place where I go and worship where I sing with strangers where I receive the bread and the wine that's that's my place it's kind of like online worship the word ecclesia It's the Greek word for church. And what is the church? I love what Charlie said last week. He said, the church is the living space of divine love. That's what you are. You're the living space of divine love. The church lies at the very heart of God's eternal purposes in the world. And that word, ecclesia, it shows up 115 times in the New Testament. And again and again and again, we see the church in Scripture, it's not referring to a building. It's not referring to an event on Sundays. It's not referring to like hierarchy or committees or pastors or programs. It is certainly not referring to a voting block. It's always referring to community, to the people. A church is the people. And together, we are the living space of divine love, and we're the living space of divine love in the particular place where we're located. And that's my really long intro. (laughs) So, (laughs) Tim, your turn.
0: (laughs) (laughs) So we're talking about rootage today. Roots and this great word, rootage. And the ecclesia that we are ties back way back 2,000 years ago to the first church. And there's this link of connection all these years. And in Acts 2.42, and Acts is a book about the early church being formed and how it started, but there's a description in Acts 2 about what the early church did and what we are still doing today. Acts 2.42 says this, They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching fellowship, breaking the bread, and the prayers. And there's four things in there that we want to break out today. The spirit-filled church is a learning church. A spirit-filled church is a loving church, and a spirit-filled church is a worshiping church, and a spirit-filled church is an outreaching, other-oriented church. So to begin talking about these things of ecclesia, how it manifests here in this world in a place. Let's begin with a spirit-filled church is a learning church. It says that they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. And in an interesting way, Jesus started a school of love. So you can imagine here's the apostles. They were with Jesus those years and learning from him and around him, absorbing all that he said. And now there's others who were not with Jesus. And so they are wondering, what was Jesus like? Tell us about him. Tell us what he taught. And so the apostles got to tell people all about Jesus. And later those things become the scriptures that we have as they're written down. And we learn through Jesus and the apostles and then the scriptures, this God way of life. This way of being a citizen of heaven here on earth this way of love. So we have the scriptures. Later, we get things like the creeds, the Apostles' Creed, the Nicene Creed, which are these little pithy statements of what do we believe? What are the facts? Later, we also get confessions. And these confessions are these statements of all the things that we believe written out with a little more detail. And these confessions have been used in history to teach kids and to teach adults what are the core beliefs of following God in the way of Jesus. So we have these confessions to look to. And all these years, the church has been a learning church, taking and adapting what Jesus taught 2,000 years ago and bringing it into all kinds of cultural contexts around the world and across time. So here in this space, The Heidelberg Confession has been used over the years. Now, you can think about this fascinating thing, the Heidelberg Confession, which was written in German. And when the people here would recite Heidelberg question number one, they would recite it. And if these walls could speak, they would echo back Heidelberg Confession number one in Dutch because that's the language they spoke. So these walls speak Dutch. And now they've also learned English along the way. But just think of the years of repetition of this statement. So I'm going to read Heidelberg question number one and the answer, and you can hear it. But then I'm going to invite you to stand and read it out loud with me in a moment. So here's Heidelberg question number one, this most powerful and potent statement. Question, what is your only comfort in life and in death? Because I belong to him, Christ, by his Holy Spirit, assures me of eternal life and makes me wholeheartedly willing and ready from now on to live for him. Amen. So if you would, would you stand and read these words with me? Joining these walls as they speak. Question. What is your only comfort in life and in death? Answer. Answer that I am not my own, but belong body and soul in life and death to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. He has fully paid for all my sins with his precious blood and has set me free from the tyranny of the devil. He also watches over me in such a way that not a hair can fall from my head without the will of my Father in heaven.
1: In fact, all All things must work together together for my my salvation.
0: Because I belong belong to him,
1: Christ, Christ, by by his
0: Holy Spirit, assures me of eternal eternal life and and makes me wholeheartedly willing and ready from now on to live for him. Amen. You may be seated. But isn't it beautiful to speak those words aloud in this space that have been said over and over all these years? And it's so personal to think that God knows the details, that even if a hair falls from your head, God knows that about you. But then to also think, oh, God knows that about me, very personal, but God also knows that about you over there, and you over there, and you that is a bother to me over there. And that we're all in this together, and we're all in this with God. And it is encouraging to be together. So Susie, your turn.
1: So good. So good. I love that. love hearing our voices in unison. Mm-hmm. So we're to be a school of love that results in lives of love. A spirit-filled church is a learning church, and a spirit-filled church is a loving church, a caring church. A generous church. Too often throughout church history, churches have focused solely on what you could call orthodoxy, what to believe, believe the right things. And as important as that is, it's been to the neglect sometimes of orthopraxy. How do you live that out? Does your life evidence the fruit of God's spirit? Sometimes our emphasis on orthodoxy has been to the neglect of orthopraxy. But a spirit-filled church is a loving church. It's a caring church. And if our orthodoxy is not resulting in lives of greater love, if your beliefs are not producing the fruit of the spirit, then the tree of your beliefs may be rotten it should be reexamined jesus said good trees bear good fruit and bad trees bear bad fruit and jesus said by their fruit you will recognize them so maybe you can spout off the heidelberg word for word maybe you can quote a bunch of smart theology but your life is speaking What is your life saying? And if it is not producing greater love and compassion for people on the margins, for the poor, and for the vulnerable in society, then it is not the fruit of God's spirit. God desires that we would be growing in love, joy, peace, patience, Kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. You know, when this first, uh, when this church building was first founded, many of its founding members had come to Denver because they had tuberculosis, and they found the climate here in Denver easier to breathe. And do you know that the? Do you want to know what the early founders of this church did? the love of Christ compelled them to meet the need of these people moving to Denver because of having TB. The love of Christ compelled them to actually open up a place called the Bethesda Tuberculosis Sanitarium. It was a place where sick people who were struggling to breathe could come to get well. And it is not lost on me that when COVID first started, and we were learning about the symptoms of the virus, that everyone was talking about, if you get COVID, it's it's like hard to get a deep breath. It's, it's like shortness of breath. It's hard to breathe. If these walls could speak, they would tell the stories of people then and now who came into this space who felt like they could not breathe, or who prayed from home, God, help me to get my breath back. People like our dear Evelina, some of you remember her. We knew Evelina when she was in her 80s and 90s, but she was sent here to Denver alone at age 14 because she had TB. And you know what? This church took her in. The people of this church loved and cared for her and many others. They gave sacrificially with their time and their money to build a place where Evelina could breathe again. You know, Evelina lived into her 90s. She moved here when she was 14. And until she died, her funeral was right in this very place where you sit. From 14 well into her 90s, She walked through these doors every week. She lived right down the block. Her value on this place was uncommon. She was rooted here. Imagine a world where hurting people would run to their local church, not away from it, where they would just intuitively sense and know, like, I'm hurting. I got to get there because that place that is a place where I am safe, where I belong, where I experience love and care and the generosity of human souls in a world that is fragmented and otherwise dangerous and lonely and detached. A spirit-filled church is a loving church. May we be that too.
0: 3rd Spirit-filled church is a worshiping church. And perhaps you already know this, but the old First Reformed church was known as the singing church. So, like we have our Spread Love shirts, I don't know if they had this, but I hope they had the singing church t-shirts. It was certainly printed on their program, but what did that mean that they were the singing church? It meant that the congregation knew how to sing together and sing in harmony. It also meant that they had a choir loft up here on stage and they had a choir that would practice and rehearse and present to the congregation something that would be beautiful and uplifting for everybody listening. They were the singing church. And I think that we continue in that as the singing church, that we continue to sing and worship, we lift our voices to God, and as we open up our mouths It's an opportunity for God to also pour back into us. In worship, when we sing, it is an opportunity to take our eyes off of all that's wrong in the world and put our eyes on God and all that is right with God. It was a great experience this past year as we, well, not a great experience of being gathered scattered for 22 weeks, That was hard. But because we were gathered scattered, when we came back and we were here in person and we could hear others singing here, it was very moving and powerful. And that experience happened, you know, that first week, but then it has just continued to unfold week after week as different people have been back and back here singing. And as they come out and they proclaim, wow, it is so good to be together with people singing something powerful in the activity of singing together. You know, it's interesting that Susie and I over the years have said this to individuals that we're meeting with or couples that we're counseling, and we ask them this very maybe bizarre question that doesn't make sense to them, but makes sense to us. And we ask them, you know, when you're at church, do you sing out loud with the songs? And sometimes we're like, why does that have anything to do with anything? But it has to do with everything, because if you think about your life as sitting passively by, watching things happen, not involved, not participating, what opportunity does God have to move in you? But if you take the vulnerability of singing out loud, maybe even when you don't want to, it's the opportunity for God to meet you in that space and to pour back into you. I think that is a profound thing in singing together. My grandma Grady is an example of <laughs> we are what we worship. Uh, Ruth, um, last seven years of her life, she had Alzheimer's and was in a nursing home and didn't really know anybody at any point anymore. Which, in the very painful ugly way of that and also maybe now the funny looking back of that she would say things like i just wish my son david would come and visit me to my dad who was sitting right there (laughs) talking with her and you know it's just those things she just wasn't in reality necessarily anymore and didn't know us but she could sing hymns she could sing along without words all the hymns because it had been her practice of church and singing with people and life that all those hymns and words were put into her soul and they would still exude out even when not everything was connecting mentally. And the question that I once in a while wonder about for me is what will I be exuding out when I enter into dementia? And I know it's funny. (laughs) Some of you may be there. But what am I worshiping, imprinting on my soul that will become who I am in the end? You know, if I am just rehearsing criticism and demand and critique and self-centered, when I hit dementia, that is what will exude out. But if I am practicing taking my eyes off of all that's wrong in this world and putting my eyes on God and seeing all that's right with God and lifting my voice to God. That's opportunity for God to shape my soul, to mold it in a way that it is fitting for heaven while here on earth. So, I hope that we continue to be the singing
1: Spirit filled church is also an outreaching, other oriented church. In verse 47, we read, The Lord added to their number, day by day, those who were being saved. And so far, we have talked about learning and worshiping and loving one another, kind of these internal things. But if that's like all we do as a church, it's self-regarding. It's I said in the first service, kinda like an ingrown toenail. <laughs> it's not LCC. pretty.
0: You can't use those kind of illustrations.
1: <laughs> the only thing you'll remember from today. <laughs> but in this scripture it says that the Lord added to their number. God did it. It wasn't because they had great marketing. It wasn't because they had amazing charismatic speakers. It wasn't because of the awesome band or the preachers and sneakers. It wasn't the excellent social media efforts they made. God added, the Lord added to their number. It was a work of God. And the urban promise says we can lead detached, unrooted, unrooted lives of endless choice, no commitment. And that promise has failed us. Loneliness, anxiety, depression have grown by 30% in recent years. There's been a drastic increase in suicides and diseases of despair all around us. We do not do well to follow the urban promise because there is no meaning without roots. Walter Brueggemann says, the central problem in our age is not emancipation, but rootage. The central problem in our age, it's not meaning, but belonging. It's not separation from community, but location within it. It's not isolation from others, but placement, deliberately between the generation of promise and fulfillment. This is why I think this place matters. Not because God is only found here, but because this place represents the roots, the belonging, the placement that we so desperately need in our world. Some generations of people have come before us right here. And God willing, some people will come after us. By being a place on this corner, we welcome people in. Every week we welcome people in. And you know what? The neighborhood knows we're here. The community knows that we are here. The old First Reformed Church used to have a parking lot out back. And they would have big parties, and they would throw events, and they would cook Dutch food and invite neighbors in when this was a Dutch settlement in Denver. You know what? Today, we're going to have a huge block party, and we're going to block the street. And you know what? We're going to serve hot dogs. (laughs) (laughs) And we're going to invite the community here and into the side yard. And these are ways in which we spread the love of God and invite people out of a life, lived in detachment and in isolation and into a life lived in community and in the very love of God. And I hope, I hope we never have to close down this place. I hope we get to continue to be the living place of divine love on this corner for many years to come. But if ever we had to permanently close these blue doors. I hope the community would be sad to see us go. And so, Platt Park Church, may you be the body of Christ wherever you are. May you be the living space of divine love. And may you also value this place God has given as gift. By God's grace, may we together be a learning church, a loving church, a worshiping church, and an other-oriented church until that day when Christ comes again. Amen? Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Oh God, we want more of you. Jesus, we want to be more like you. And Spirit, we want this community to embody the fullness of you. May it be so, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.